your copy of God's Word with me this morning and open it to the last page of the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 through 20. And while you're at it, uh, make your way to John's Gospel, somewhere around John 14, 15, 16, 17, and just stick a thumb or a piece of paper or something there, because we're going to flip to it a little bit later on uh, as we work through uh, our text this morning. If someone were to ask you, and maybe you've even thought about this question before, if you had one thing to do with your life, one, one goal to pursue, one, one project to complete, one thing to do with your life, what would it be? That's a big question, uh, and, and, and probably you would want to take some time to think about the answer to that. You, many people might think, well, I'd, you know, I'd love to start a, a nonprofit that would you know, help uh, starving children in, in difficult places of the world, or you know, I would want to find a cure for cancer, or I name any of a million other things that, that people could want to do with their lives. I would submit to you, though, that... that it, in light of, and maybe even in spite of the many different grandiose dreams that we might have of, of legacies that we could leave behind, great things we could do with our life, our, our lives, that there is, there is one thing that surpasses them all. One thing that surpasses them all, that, that all of us are capable of, of doing. Not everybody can start a nonprofit that functions to, to provide clean water and food to starving children in, in sub-Saharan Africa. Not all of us have the, the wherewithal, and, and God hasn't gifted all of us with the same abilities to find a, a cure for cancer. But God has given to all of us the ability to do one thing perfectly, or one thing well, that he has designed us to do, uh, that is certainly worth spending our lives doing. And this one purpose is found in the mission statement of our church. You look at the front of your worship guide this morning, our mission statement is printed right there at the bottom. Would you read it out loud with me? First Baptist West Albuquerque exists to glorify God by making disciples of Jesus Christ in the power of the Holy Spirit. We exist for one thing. For one purpose as a church. And not just as a church, but as believers. We exist for this one thing. To glorify God by making disciples of Jesus Christ in the power of the Holy Spirit. You don't have to be a, a particle physicist to do this. Right? You, you don't have to, 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 to be a president of the United States or a world leader to do this. You can, be a, you can be an eight-year-old who is trusting Jesus in third grade and do this. You can be a 98-year-old on your deathbed waiting to return home to Christ and do this. Everyone can do this. This is our mission as a church, and we're going to explore this in depth this morning and uh, today and the, and the, next three, uh, the next three weeks after today, throughout the month of January, we're, we're going to be looking and revisiting again the mission and vision of uh, First Baptist West Albuquerque, what we exist for, which is glorifying God by making disciples, and what that looks like as we minister as a church. What kind of disciples are we seeking to make this morning, we're going to look specifically at our mission statement that First Baptist West Albuquerque exists to glorify God by making disciples of Jesus Christ in the power of the Holy Spirit. And I would hope that you would, with me, join again, in, in, especially those of you who are members of our church, in knowing what our mission is to commit to living and ministering together to fulfill that mission in 2019, to live this out as a church. Let's stand together as we 
read Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 through 20. They'll be on the, the words will be on the screen behind me. Uh, I'll be reading out of the English Standard Version. Many of you probably know these words by heart, and so let's read them all aloud together. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. The word of the Lord. You may be seated. We exist as a church to glorify God by making disciples of Jesus in the power of the Holy Spirit. And we derive this mission, we get this mission from Scripture itself, from the the verses that we just read out loud. And I want to look at these verses, uh, three things that we find in in this text before us. The, The first one is this in verse 18, the person of focus. The person of focus. Who, is the, who, who are these verses focused on? There's one singular focus, and that is the person of God himself. Verse 18 recalls to us some of the final words of the risen Jesus to his disciples before he would ascend to heaven. And in this most pivotal moment, Jesus begins with the words, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. That, that's his introductory statement to, to the final words that he'll give to the disciples. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Let's just stop a moment and, and let all of those words, uh, uh, all that those words signify, let's let that just sink into our hearts, into our minds for a second. Jesus says, all authority. That means every bit of available power to rule and to reign has been given to him. All authority in heaven and on earth. So in both the spiritual and physical realms, in all of the cosmos and all the the, the heavenly places, Jesus has authority to rule and to reign. All authority has been given to me, Jesus says. All this authority is possessed by Jesus Christ, the eternal Son of God, who is one with the Father. All authority to rule and to reign over all the cosmos and all of the heavenly places, every every inch of both the spiritual realm and the physical realm, has been given over to the authority of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Now, all of this means that Jesus is, is not another being on par with God. He's not another God or, 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 or a, a similar God who, who, who is like God, but that Jesus is God. He is divine. John, in his gospel, spells out the divinity and unity of Jesus, the Son of God, with God the Father in several places. In John chapter 1, verse 1, John writes, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He uses that word, Word, to refer to the person of Jesus. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that has been made. In John chapter 3, verse 35, Jesus himself says, The Father loves the Son and has given all things into his hand. John 13, verses 2 and 4, we read this during supper, when the devil had already put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from the supper. Again, John chapter 17, verses 1 and 2, Jesus says, uh, as he's praying in the garden of Gethsemane before he'll be arrested and then later crucified, says, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son that the Son may glorify you, since you have given him authority over 
over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given to him. So we find that Jesus' commands to make disciples are not separate from God's commands, or they're they're not even additional to God's commands or or optional. But because they are Jesus' words, they are God's commands, and they are to be obeyed. Because he has all authority, because he is God. Jesus is God. This is a distinctive of Orthodox Christianity for the last 2,000 years, that Jesus, the eternal Son of God, is, one, is not just one with God, that He is God. That God is, is, is existing in three, there's one God who exists eternally in three different persons, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. The Father is God, the Son is God, the Holy Spirit is God, but the Father is not the Son, is not the Holy Spirit, is not the Father, right? So there's one God, but three distinct persons of that one God. Jesus is God, and and his commands are supremely authoritative. But his commands do not undermine or take away from God the Father or the things that the Father has done, the the plans of the Father, the redemptive work of the Father. But the commands of Jesus serve to make God more glorious. The commands of Jesus serve to make God more famous. The commands of Jesus serve to make God more well-known in the world. And so John chapter 17, verses 1 through 5, turn, turn there with me. There again, we return to, to Jesus' uh, prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane. And we see that the purpose for all of, of Christ's life here as he's praying. He says in John 17, when Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son that the Son may glorify you. Since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given. And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I glorified you on earth, Jesus says, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. Here's the point of these verses and and, and of Christ's authority and the command that he gives and all this. The Son of God, Jesus, does not take on flesh to die and rise again so that he might make himself glorious, so that he might glorify himself. But the Son of God steps out of heaven, adds humanity to his existence, dies for the sins of mankind, is raised again so that he might glorify the Father. He says so in his own prayer. God's plan of redemption, God's plan to rescue you from sin and death in the clutches of Satan, his plan of redemption by which we we are saved by faith in Jesus serves ultimately to make God famous, to make God glorious, to celebrate him throughout the entire created world. Now, if God the Son, Jesus, knew his ultimate purpose on earth was to glorify the Father, then we who are saved by faith in Jesus, the Son, to be conformed to him must have the very same purpose. There is one focus of the Great Commission, and that is to glorify God. Jesus demonstrates it to us in his own prayer before he is arrested and crucified. Jesus says, my purpose on earth, Father, is to glorify you. So be glorified and glorify me with the glory that I had before you. But God, you be glorified. 
All of this is why our mission as a church is to glorify God. You read that in our mission statement. We exist to glorify God. That's, that's what we live for. That's the purpose of our existence as a church, to bring God glory, to make his name famous, to, to let his praise and his majesty uh, just reverberate through all of the created world and all of our spheres of influence. Our mission as a church is to glorify God because, friends, there is no purpose greater or better. There's no purpose greater or better. Listen to some verses from the Psalms in which we read about the importance of the glory of God and and the singular supremacy of the glory of God. Psalm 57.5 and 108.5, the same verse in two different places says this, Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. Psalm 29, verses 1 and 2. Ascribe to the Lord, O heavenly beings. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due His name. Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. Psalm chapter 115, verse 1. Not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to Your name give glory. For the sake of Your steadfast love and Your faithfulness. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 30 and 31. Moving now to the New Testament, Paul writing to the church at Corinth says, So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all to the glory of God. Jonathan Edwards, who I've referenced often because I studied him uh, a lot several years ago, uh, theologian of the 1700s and during the period of the Great Awakening, wrote in a sermon on Psalm 115, verse 1, these words. The believer delights in attributing, giving the praise of all that he has, all that he is, and all that he enjoys to God, in acknowledging that it comes from him, and that it is all the fruit of his benignity and is not owing to himself. The believer wonders at God's goodness in sending his son to redeem him. The believer likewise admires at his grace in calling him to Christ by his Holy Spirit. The believer delights to acknowledge that his conversion is not at all owing to any respect to himself, but to God alone, the grace of God alone. And so he, the believer, loves to give God the glory of all his works, whereby glory redounds to God. He is not for attributing anything to his own power or his own goodness. Jonathan Edwards says there's one thing for which God does all things, and that is for God's own glory. God is the only singular, perfect, and holy being in all of the world, created or uncreated, all the world physical and spiritual. There is no being that is higher. There is no being that is greater. There is no being that is better or more moral or more perfect. He is supreme, and he deserves all praise, all glory, all honor from all people. Jesus demonstrates that to us in his own life. This is the purpose, God, that you sent me, to glorify yourself. So be glorified in what's about to happen, my death and resurrection, says Jesus. And then glorify me with the glory that I had before you. We exist to do nothing less than what Jesus came to do, which was to glorify God. We exist to glorify God. The person of focus of the Great Commission is God himself. It's not you or me. It's not even the disciples that Jesus is talking to. It is God himself. We see also in verses 19 and 20 the imperative, the the command that Jesus gives. In these words, there is, in our English translations, uh, may appear to be a a couple of commands, but, but in the original language, there's just one. There's one imperative. And that one imperative is to make disciples. To make disciples. 
That is, to make other followers of Jesus who live to glorify God. Now, this one command to make disciples, to make other followers of Jesus, has with it several qualifiers, at least four. The first one is this, of all nations. Jesus says, make disciples of all nations. The root of the word translated nations is the same root from which we get our word ethnicities. Followers of Jesus are to be made from every people group, every tribe, every nation, every socioeconomic status. This command is not only for Jewish or European or transatlantic people in its scope. It is is to extend into the eastern world, to the African continent, to the Arctic Circle, and to every nook and cranny and island in between. Make disciples of all nations, all ethnicities, all people groups, Jesus says, without distinction, without prejudice, without differentiation. Bring them all to me. We're to make disciples of all nations. And then there are three means by which we are to make disciples. In the, in the, the Greek of this passage, these words are participles. Participles are I-N-G words, okay? Participles help describe uh, main verbs. And the main verb in this uh, passage is to make disciples. How are we to make disciples? Uh, first of all, we're, we're to make them of all nations. But in what manner? First of all, by going. Make disciples going. Making disciples does not happen by accident, friends, nor does it happen passively. You can't just sit around and wait for disciples to be made. It requires intentional movement and intentional action to be done. Many scholars believe that this participle in Greek, going, which in our English translations looks like a command, doesn't it, at the beginning of 19, go, therefore, and make disciples. Many scholars believe that it should be translated as an imperative, like, uh, as a joint imperative to go make disciples. And so many of our translations say exactly that. The task that Jesus gives is a serious one, and it must be taken seriously by all who call themselves Christian. And making disciples must be a decision that each individual follower of Jesus makes intentionally, consciously, and with full commitment to do it purposefully and actively all their lives. Do you notice that there's no time constraint for the command that Jesus gives? Go make disciples for a little while. Go make disciples between the ages of 18 and 25. Go make disciples until you've retired from your your physical vocation and then you can take time off from ministry. Making disciples is a, is a command that, that is to embody and, and be obeyed by the, the, the follower of Jesus their entire lives from the moment that they place faith in Jesus Christ until the moment they meet him face to face in their death. There is no moment of life from which you are excused, Christian, from making disciples. It's supposed to be intentional. You're supposed to do it, as, do it intentionally by going, making this decision to join him in it. We make disciples going. We make disciples also by baptizing. You see that? Baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, Jesus says. This is the first means by which disciples are made through baptism. All throughout the New Testament, baptism comes as the first step of obedience to Christ by a person who has placed faith in Jesus for salvation. Baptism is a symbolic act of an individual's conscious commitment to Christ in his death, burial, and resurrection, done in the presence of other believers, thus identifying us also with the church, the the people, and the body of Christ. This is why we do baptisms publicly on Sunday mornings. 
Because the person who's being baptized is making a statement, is, is making two concurrent statements. The first is this, that they are identifying as they go under the water and raise back up, identifying with Jesus in his death, burial, and resurrection. That they are dying to an old way of living. They're dying to self. They're dying to their personal uh, desires to, to, to live in sinful ways and being raised to a new kind of life, empowered by the Holy Spirit of God to pursue righteousness and holiness. And they make that decision publicly in front of the whole church to say, I'm not just identifying with Jesus. My, my life with Christ is not just Jesus and me and nobody else, but I'm following Jesus with the body of Christ. I'm now part of his body, part of his family. I'm a child of God with all these other children, and I'm committing my life to Christ and also to his body, the church. Baptism, you notice in these verses, in this verse, is to be done in the singular name of the triune God. Baptize them not in the names of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, but in the name, singular, of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. No person of God is in nature greater than the others. Right? The, the, the Holy Spirit is, is not by his nature somehow subservient or less, less God than the Father. It is the whole being of God that his, all of his three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, they're involved in salvation. It is in reference, it is in deference, it is to the glory of God in all of his three persons that, that a person is saved by faith in Jesus. The Father ordains salvation, the Son purchases it, and the Holy Spirit seals and empowers believers for living in this new life of, of salvation and, and pursuing personal holiness and making disciples, uh, walking with God their entire life. All of God is involved in redemption. All of God is, is, is involved in calling people from death to life, from, from sin to holiness. All of, all of God is involved in bringing about this tr- spiritual transformation that we call salvation salvation. And so it is in the one name of the triune God, Father, Son, and Spirit, that we are to baptize believers. We are to make disciples of all nations, Jesus tells us, by going, doing it intentionally, being about that business, by baptizing, identifying new believers publicly with both God and the body of Christ, and then thirdly, by teaching. Teaching them to obey, to observe all that I have commanded you, Jesus says in verse 20. It is here that we learn that being a disciple of Jesus involves growing in what we know of Christ and helping others to do the same thing. Making disciples does not stop at baptism, but just barely begins there. As disciples of Jesus who make disciples, we are called to invest our lives in teaching them, in investing in them, in helping them to to grow and to mature and to, to not only to look more like Christ and to act more like Christ, but to think more like Christ and then to teach others to do the same. Specifically, we are to teach them to obey all that Christ has commanded. So it is that to be a follower of Jesus, to be a disciple, as Jesus is, is, is here indicating, is to obey all that Christ has commanded. And we know, that his, we know the commands that he has given uh, because he's given to us his word by which we know them and are able to follow them. So it follows then that the Bible must be the prime and highest subject for our teaching in the church and with those that we are leading to follow Jesus. We are to teach disciples to obey all that Christ has commanded. And there is no other place to know all that Christ has commanded but in the pages of this book. Amen. And so we make this the, the centerpiece of our teaching. 
In our Sunday school classes, we're focusing on the Bible. In, in worship on Sunday mornings, we're in the Bible together. We, we sing truths that are often right out of the pages of Scripture. And every time I preach, God help me, I'm, I'm preaching out of the Word of God. This is the only way that we have come to, to know God and, and, and the way by which we can be saved. This is the only means by which we can grow in our obedience to Christ's commands. And so that's why we put it at the center of all that we do, not just in the church, but also in how we encourage people in individual discipling relationships. Some of you are involved in, 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 in helping other believers who are maybe younger than you or younger in the faith than you to follow Jesus more faithfully. And we have trained you, we have taught you to put the Bible right at the center of that time that you spend together. Because there's no better place to know Christ or to know his commands and how to obey them than by opening his word and reading from it. We are to make disciples of all nations as we go, as we're going with intentionality, baptizing them in identification with Christ and with the body of Christ, and by teaching them to obey all that Christ has commanded. We exist as a church to glorify God by making disciples of Jesus Christ. The prime means of our glorifying God as a church is by making disciples of Jesus. And so we find that we glorify God best when we are bringing others into relationship with Jesus. We give God the most glory. We give him the most fame. We are are doing it in the best possible way as we bring other people into relationship with Jesus. I want to invite you to think bigger this year when it comes to making disciples. Try to have a cosmic vision of what is happening when we share the gospel and call people to faith and maturity in Christ. Now, I don't want to beleaguer the man nor the point, but again, Jonathan Edwards' theology is helpful to us here. Edwards teaches us that there can be no other reason for God to create anything at all except to glorify himself and to be glorified by other intelligent beings, you and me. Listen and hear this clearly. God does not need anything from us. If you ever hear someone say, well, God created us because he was lonely and he needed someone to keep him company. Baloney! All right, all your heresy flags should go up, okay? God who exists eternally and perfectly as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit lives eternally in perfect community. He doesn't need Stephen to keep him company. He doesn't need me to do anything for him. I can can barely get dressed on my own in the morning, much less help God be God. God doesn't need anything from us. He is not dependent upon us. God does not need our worship. He doesn't need it. He's not somehow less God if we don't worship him. God does not need our devotion. He doesn't need our gathering together like this as a church every morning. He is not somehow less powerful, less sovereign over creation if we don't worship him. He needs nothing from us. This is incredibly important for us to grasp, for us to realize that God needs nothing from me. But in love, he creates us to know him and to worship him to give him the greatest and most perfect of all beings in all the cosmos, the glory he deserves. God does not need you, dear friends, but he loves you and he wants you and he has called you into this awesome relationship with him to do and to be everything he has created you to be. Listen, my wife does not need me to raise our children. She might be shaking her head, but it was true. She is perfectly able to raise our kids on our own. 
She doesn't need me. She's way, way more gifted, way more capable as a parent than I am in so many ways. But I am blessed by the fact that she wants me to, right? My wife didn't need to marry me. In fact, maybe your your life might have been a a lot easier had you not. But she wanted to. There's, there, there wasn't anything that I could add to her life or to make her more saved or to make her more acceptable to God. or to, in, in many ways, our, our, our marriage has been filled with conflicts that, that I'm the cause of. She didn't need anything from me, but she wanted me. And that makes all the difference. Dear friends, God does not need you. He wants you. He loves you. He's calling you, inviting you to, 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 to be all that he's made for you to be as, as, as a, an intelligent, willing agent of glorifying God by extending his fame into the world. By our own sin, though, friends, we have made it impossible for us to do what God has made us for and what he has made us to enjoy. So God, because of his love for us, sends his son, Jesus, to die for our sins and to be raised again. So that when we trust in Jesus and we repent of our sins, when we become disciples, when we become followers of Jesus, we we enter back into the purpose for which God has made us, to give him glory, to make him famous. And at the same time, we receive all of the benefits of eternal life to glorify God forever. This is so awesome. This realization, when I came to this realization maybe six, seven years ago and really understood it, that God needs nothing from me, but he wants me and he loves me. And he sent his son out of heaven to to take on humanity, to die and be raised again, to save me so that I can glorify God with all of my life. It changed everything for me. It was like all of a sudden, just like like waking up one day and seeing the world in in color and in colors that I'd never seen before. It changed everything. So when you understand that, that, God needs nothing from you, but that he wants you and has created you to give him glory. And in giving him glory, you are the most satisfied. You are the happiest. You, you are doing everything that God has made you to be, that that is the life to live. It changes everything. All of God's purposes in creation and in redemption and saving us from sin come together in disciple making in making followers of Jesus to, to, on the one hand, celebrate God's glory in the highest and most personal way for human beings to do. And at the same time, to bring others into that plan. There are lots of ways for us to glorify God. Lots, innumerable. Paul says, whether you eat or drink. So there's at least two other ways besides making disciples that you can glorify God. Whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. There are lots of ways to glorify God, but none is greater, none is better than by sharing the glorious news of what God has done to rescue sinners and to help them grow in Christ, to help them to become ambassadors of this same great news themselves. Now listen, I want the physicists of our congregation to glorify God in their work as they praise him for his manifold wisdom in creating the world that he has. I want our stay-at-home moms to glorify God in the way that they raise their children and care for their families. I want our students, middle school, high school, college students, young adults, to glorify God in in, in the the choices that they make with their bodies and relationships and, and educational decisions. Senior adults, I want you to glorify God in your retirement and in the way that you spend your golden years. We have executives in our church body. I want our executives to glorify God in the way that they treat and lead their subordinates. Whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, glorify God. But I want for all of us 
to join together in the most glorifying thing we can do for God, the most glorifying thing we can do with our lives, which is to bring others into a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. The imperative is to make disciples. Jesus gives his life to glorify the Father by dying for those who would be brought into saving relationship with him, to die for those who would become his disciples. So let's join Jesus in the work that he has begun and invited us to join him in by glorifying God, by making other followers of Jesus. We've seen the person of focus of this text, which is God. We've seen the imperative to make disciples, make other followers of Jesus, share the gospel, preach the gospel, do it all to the glory of God. The third and finally, in the end of verse 20, we see the power for success. How will we be successful in glorifying God by making disciples? The power for success comes only through the Holy Spirit. And Jesus closes his final words with a word of reassurance, which is the promise of his presence. You read that in the last part of verse 20. Behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. I am with you always, Jesus says, to the end of the age, which means uh, until I return again to make things new, I am with you. Now the question is, how does Jesus remain with believers forever? Uh, Jesus is not physically standing next to me right now. I think we can all agree on that. He's not standing here bodily. I, there's no magic. I feel like a magician. You know, there's no strings here. There's, Jesus is not physically standing next to me. So what does it mean that he's with us forever? Well, the answer is, friends, by the Holy Spirit. Now, the Holy Spirit, this is important, is not the, the light side of the force, like in Star Wars. Nor is it one of the three masks that God wears to reveal himself at different times. The Holy Spirit is a person of God, and we should refer to him as such. The Holy Spirit is not an it, but a he. Scripture refers to him that way. Not in the sense that the Holy Spirit has a male gender, but in the sense that he is a person. The Holy Spirit is a person of God. We've said before, there's one God who eternally exists in three distinct but co-equal persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We find it is even into the one name of the triune God that we are to baptize new believers. So God is Father and Son and Holy Spirit all at the same time. And while all three are the same God, they are all distinct and differentiated persons of that one God. So it is true that if the Son, Jesus, is equal with the Father because both are God, then so also is He equal with the Holy Spirit who is also God. I don't think we need... Much more convincing on the divinity of the Holy Spirit. I pray that we don't. But I'm happy to talk with you individually later on if you have more questions. But for the time that we have remaining, let's just remind ourselves of what Jesus says about the Holy Spirit again in John's Gospel. So here, turn with me to John chapter 14. John chapter 14, verses 15 through 17. Hopefully your thumb hasn't fallen out of that place yet. John chapter 14, verses 15 through 17. Jesus says this. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. Jesus continues in verses 25 and 26 of the same chapter. It says, These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Jump now to chapter 15 of John's Gospel, verses 26 and 27. 
We're there, Jesus says, but when the helper comes, and we know the helper is the Holy Spirit, he just told us, when the helper comes, whom I uh, will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. And you also will, will bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. And then in chapter 16, verses 7 through 11, we read this. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, Jesus says, it is to your advantage that I go away. He's here speaking about him, him being crucified and then rising again and ascending to the Father. He's, none of that has happened yet in the course of John's gospel, but he's telling the disciples it's going to happen. It is to your advantage that I go away, for if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father. And you will see me no longer. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. So we find in these several verses that the Holy Spirit is a helper sent by the Father at the request of the Son. You see all the persons of God involved in this. This is so awesome. At the request of the Son, who is with the disciples of Jesus forever. The Holy Spirit is the Spirit of truth. He, Jesus tells us, He teaches. He bears witness about Christ. The Holy Spirit convicts the world about sin and righteousness and coming judgment. I feel like uh, Billy Mays from the OxyClean commercials, but wait, there's more. The Holy Spirit doesn't just do, he doesn't just teach and, 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 and bear witness to, to Christ and, and, and act as a comforter. But in Acts chapter 1 verse 8, we know that there's so much more. Because there in Acts chapter 1 verse 8, as Jesus is about to ascend to the, again to heaven in the right hand of the Father, what does he tell the disciples? You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and all Samaria and even to the ends of the earth. Acts chapter 1 verse 8 tells us that the, the Holy Spirit empowers the disciples, followers of Christ, you and me, to be witnesses to Jesus and of the gospel in all the world. So there's one simple point that, that, that I wish to make for us this morning. Your salvation, the forgiveness of your sin that you have by faith in Christ is not from you. It doesn't come from you. You can't do anything to save yourself. All of it is from God and about God. God the Father ordains it. Christ the Son uh, 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 purchases it for us. And the Holy Spirit seals and empowers believers to live out that redeemed life. You broke relationship with God by your sin. So did I. But God the Father determined in eternity past to send His Son to die and to rise again to pay for your sin. And the Son and the Father together send the Holy Spirit to live in you, to empower you, for, uh, to be a witness for Him. We saw this all last year in the book of Acts. The Holy Spirit constantly showing up and empowering the disciples of Jesus for witness around the world. All of salvation is about God from first to last. All of it is from God from first to last. And quite honestly, that is the best place you want it to come from. If salvation depends upon me, I am in big trouble because I am constantly, weekly, maybe even daily, incompetent. I'm unable. I am ineffectual to do much of anything for myself, much less save myself from sin. Our salvation is empowered from God from the start. Our, our disciple-making efforts are powered by the, empowered by the Holy Spirit from the beginning. 
And we continue in obedience to him by making disciples in the power that the Holy Spirit gives to us today. How will we be successful in fulfilling our mission of of glorifying God by making disciples of Jesus Christ? By doing it in the power of the Holy Spirit. We will only be successful in our mission as a church if we work in the power the Holy Spirit provides. Not long ago, uh, I left the house uh, on a Saturday to go and run some errands. And when I came back home, I hit my garage door opener uh, and nothing happened. The garage door, I was in front of the garage. I made it back to the right house and I pressed the garage door button and nothing happened. The door would not open. And so I had to go through all the inconvenience of finding my key and going in through the front door like a normal human being. And I got inside, and I was trying to figure out why the garage door wasn't opening. I thought, well, maybe, uh, maybe the battery in my, um, in my garage door opener was out or something like that. But uh, I went in through the utility room into the, the garage, and I noticed the, the opener that's uh, screwed into the wall there right by the door. Uh, there's a little green light that glows on it. Mostly that light was out. So that's kind of weird. And I went to turn the light on in the utility room to see a little bit better. And I flipped the switch and no light came on. I went to some other switches around the house and tried to flip them and they wouldn't come on either. We uh, purchased a house that's about 40 years old and the circuit breakers in the house were also about 40 years old. And so one of the circuit breakers, one of the, the breakers for that uh, cluster of electric, you know, uh, wiring in our house, which was the garage door and the utility room, bathroom lights, none of it worked because the circuit had failed. Now, thanks to YouTube, I, I figured out how to go and uh, uh, swap out. Uh, thank you, YouTube. Somebody's, yeah, so if anybody needs to know how to uh, fix a circuit breaker in your home without blowing yourself up or, um, you know, or setting the house on fire, um, go to YouTube. Don't ask me. Um, but I, but with the help of YouTube, I was able to fix the circuit breaker on my own, uh, flip that bad boy over, nothing exploded, uh, nothing came on fire, and all the lights came on, and my garage door worked again. Yeah, praise the Lord. Here's the purpose of telling you that silly story. We can no sooner glorify God by making disciples of Jesus apart from the help and the power of the Holy Spirit, then I was able to open the garage door or to turn on those lights without a functioning circuit breaker. Any church can have the fanciest light fixtures. Or or in your house, let me say it this way, in your house you can have the fanciest light fixtures with all the newest wiring and dimmer switches and all the effects that go with it. But if the circuit that all those lights are wired to is not tied into the source of power coming into the house, it is useless. In all the same way, we can have the the nicest facility as a church. We can have the best programs. We can have the nicest people and all the best translations of the Bible and newest Bible studies. We can have the best coffee in the coffee room in the morning. But if we're not relying upon the Holy Spirit to empower us on mission, we will never, never, never be successful. If we are relying upon my charisma, God help us. If we are dependent upon my leadership to make disciples and glorify God, God help us. If we are depending upon a facility at 6400 Golf Course, now I have no intention to move our facility, okay? But if we're dependent on this plot of land to make disciples, God help us. But if we're depending upon the Holy Spirit to make disciples of Jesus Christ in order that we might glorify God, well then God is with us and God will see his plan to success in the ways that he wants to. 
we will be successful in our mission if only we work in the power that the Holy Spirit provides. So let us then get primed for disciple-making success in 2019 by getting ourselves out of the way and relying on God and relying on God to do all that he will through us. Flip to the front of your worship guide with me one more time. Let's read together our mission statement as a church. First Baptist, West Albuquerque, exists to glorify God by making disciples of Jesus Christ in the power of the Holy Spirit. First Baptist Church of West Albuquerque, let's begin 2019 with a newfound commitment to our God-given mission. Let us glorify God in 2019 by making disciples as we rely upon his Holy Spirit, to do and to work through us all that he can and will and intends to do. And we'll give him all the glory for all the success that we see. We'll give him all the praise for all the new disciples that are made. We'll give him all of the glory and we'll worship him all the year long for every person who comes to faith in Jesus Christ as their personal Savior and Lord. Let's get about the mission. Let's trust the Holy Spirit. Give our lives over to him and to his empowerment to do what we have been called to do. Friends, know this too. If you do not know Christ as Savior and Lord, if you've not trusted in the eternal Son of God who died and rose again to make you right with the Father, to forgive you of your sin and to bring you into new life with Him, you do not yet have the Holy Spirit living in you. You cannot be successful to do what God has called us to do if you are outside of relationship with Him. And so this morning, in just a moment, we're going to sing a song of response. And I invite you who may not, may not yet know Christ to come forward and receive him as Lord this morning. I'll be standing here to, to greet you, to pray with you, to, to counsel you. So will uh, Corey, our student minister. We would love to share with you this morning how you can become a part of the mission of God to make disciples by you first becoming a disciple of Jesus yourself today. As we sing, as we spend time in prayer ask that, that, that you would be open to God to lead you to do what he has called and made you to do. Christian, member of First West, use this time of response this morning to recommit yourself to the mission that God has given to the church and to make 2019 the year that you glorify God best by making disciples of Jesus in the power of the Holy Spirit. Let's pray.